Welcome to Archetypes and the Planets, where Andre Carr and I, Bea Gonzalez, invite you to think metaphorically as we explore how we have collectively translated the map of the sky into our mythologies, religious systems, and personal psychology. Okay, so today we are looking at Venus. And um, the, the first thing to say about Venus that has always struck me uh, as so interesting is that just, the, the, and the ancients were aware of this, which is why I think all the mythologies reflect it, is what a beautiful, uh, how it beautifully traces a, a pentagram in the sky as it does its eight-year synodic cycle. So the cycle is where it comes back. Every eight years, it comes back to exactly the same space, right? And as it does that, and, I, and I'm going to, in the show notes, link this so people can see this visually, because they will see that it creates a, a rose kind of a, a, um, a image. And that's what you see in things like the Gothic cathedrals, right? You see the representation of beauty. So the fact that Venus is associated with beauty is already inscribed in the very path she is tracing in the sky, which is so cool. And by the way, the Maya, uh, a lot of the our ancient cultures understood this. They tracked it. Venus was important. Mm -hmm. Why? Because she's so bright, right, in the sky. And so mm -hmm. they, they had this uh, special veneration for Venus. But a lot of people, when they look at mythology, they look only at Aphrodite, which is the Greek expression. But prior to the Greeks, remember that the astrology, because it's astronomy fundamentally at the beginning, there's a long tradition of this. So the first incarnation of Venus is very interesting to me because it's Inanna, right? Uh, Ishtar and then Inanna. And um, what's what's really interesting about that is that the, these two have a story. They're meshed. I mean, they have basically the same the same story. Inanna is the Mesopotamian myth earlier, and then Ishtar becomes the Sumerian um, myth. And both of them deal with descent. And we've talked about this before. When you look at planets or the lights, you want to look at the opposite, right? There's a polarity involved. So what's interesting about Venus is that in both her rulerships, uh, she rules Taurus and, and Libra. The opposite is uh, Scorpio, with his, which is Mars in the in the uh, traditional uh, rulerships, and in the other one, it is um, Scorpio and it is sorry Aries, which is Mars as well. So Mars is involved in each of them. So the polarity is always this 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 fellow, this masculine energy called Mars. And the reason this is really interesting to me is that um, in the original uh, myth. Inanna descends. She has to make this descent uh, to visit her sister Ereshkigal's domain. Uh, and she does it, it, it. It's such a rich myth. She does it by stripping off every piece of clothing, seven pieces, because of course it's seven planets. And it's only when you strip down and you become vulnerable that you can make the descent into the underworld. And the underworld is where her sister is. She's gone down because her sister's in mourning because she lost her husband. Once she's there, this is going to sound familiar, she's hung upside down for three days and three nights dead. And then she's eventually rescued and brought back up. So that's the idea that the underworld journey takes you down into the depths. You really are sacrificed. Some part of you has to be sacrificed, right? So this happens, and we're going to talk a lot about values and what they mean with Venus, but it happens every time you have to sacrifice a part of what you're yourself, a part of what you're thinking to change it. You, can, you are kind of like, if you think about it, it's a beautiful, well, not beautiful, it's kind of shocking, but it's a it's a good representation of how you feel. You feel like that. You're 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 in a space where nothing moves mm -hmm. and when you're dead. Okay. What's interesting to me is that being, seems very scorpionic, which is Mars rulership on the opposite side. So it's like you're invoking 
the other side because you can't have one without the other. So that's one of the myths that really speaks to me. Uh, and that's the earlier incarnation of Venus. The other thing that's really interesting, and this is from an astronomy of viewpoint, which is so fascinating about Venus. The ancients didn't know that they, they thought it was two different uh, stars or planets at the beginning, right? Because uh, Venus is very bright, and so they would see it. But the, the the reason they thought that is one day every five years or so, and the next time it's going to happen in the northern hemisphere, I think is March eighteenth, twenty twenty five. You mm -hmm. can see Venus in certain places, both as a morning st uh, star and as an evening star. And so, someone, Michelle Covisier, who's who from Belgium, she she did this great talk where she said that's why Venus can conquer. Why that's why love can conquer death because Venus is associated with love because one day a year in that cycle you can, she basically does not go into the underworld. She's able to survive death. And so the idea is, well, in all our religious traditions, what survives death? Love, right? Because that exists beyond death. And I thought that was such an interesting um, mm. uh, observation about how it's behaving in the sky. But the, the thing is, of course, eventually they realize this is the same planet. It's very, it's very uh, bright. Um, and the other thing is Venus can't get very far away from the sun. It can't get beyond 47 degrees. Once it's that far, it starts turning back towards the sun. So it's like a servant to the sun. You can almost see it as the thing that translates the sun's path, the solar path, in a beautiful way. It's that Venusian way where you say, okay, I'm, serv I'm serving you. I'm going to do everything to make um, uh, uh, whatever your, the expression of your solar journey uh, more beautiful and clearer and bring discernment to that. Now, finally, I would say that you can't forget the Greek version of it. So you have Inanna, you have Ishtar, and then you get to the Greeks. And the Greeks reformulate um, uh, Venus Aphrodite. And Venus Aphrodite is really interesting because she comes from Zeus's head. She's born basically from his head, fully armed. She comes out of his head. And if you think about it, or Venus Athena, sorry, it's Athena that comes out of his head. Um, when she comes out of his head uh, as a fully armed thing, she has a very masculine quality. And I don't know about you, but I see the Venus in Taurus as vastly different from the Venus in Libra. And when I think of this fully armed warrior, I think of the Venus in Libra because that's a masculine yang sign. So you have more of the association with this uh, more. And of course, Athena is associated with Athens, which is where you have this wonderful architectural. And I always think of Libra, the Venus in Libra, more to do with architecture and art. I think the Venus in Taurus is more about earthiness and, and much more um, connected to the earth. So how do you, how do you see all this? How, how you, I mean, I'm just blithering on, so feel free to jump in. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, a few things that triggered some thoughts. Um, Yes, the polarity, 100%. The, you always get information by considering the opposite sign, the opposite planet. And it's curious that, I can't think of the name now, but a, a, an astrologer that's done some really good work on Venus and the Venus cycles, because you described the, it makes a pentagram in yes. its in the sky over a number of years, and it has, I think it's what, eight-year cycle, something eight like that? Eight-year cycle, yeah, it's an eight-year cycle. Right, yes. so, but he, he identified uh, Venus as consensus, like a, a society, in a way, they're linking Venus to Saturn in a way where everybody agrees, okay, this is what we like, this is what we're going to do, and then you can get, in retrograde Venus cycles, you can get uh, rebellions against consensus because the right. planet goes the other way, and that's exactly what happened almost coincident with the George Floyd situation. Yes, that's true. And you had all this unrest and, you know, literal rebellion. So that's one example of, of the a way Venus is functioning that you might not suspect. But more in line now with what you were mentioning around the myth, the one thing that, that has always stuck in my mind is Venus as both being associated with beauty and the connection to Libra, uh, the warriorship, I would agree, Athena, 
Pallas Athena, in fact, is a is a warrioress, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, symbol. Um, so that makes a, a lot of sense. In fact, I think I have this feeling that Eris may be connected to Libra as well as a female energy, but you know, driven to take action, which is a cardinal sign, all that stuff. Uh, but then the other thing would be that in the beauty side, one thing that really stuck with me over the years is that the sun shines light on Venus. When you see Venus in the sky, it's very bright. It's the brightest point mm-hmm. of all. It's, it's brighter than Jupiter, brighter than Mars. Venus is the brightest. But that's also the Luciferian quality of Venus, where Venus starts to compete with the sun. And it's the idea of when it runs amok, you would get narcissism, where you're looking in the mirror, another Venus ruled uh, thing, and you decide that you are superior to the light that you're receiving. And you want to cast your own light in which case it would be a Venus that is, is running amok and will probably uh, get you into trouble in, in terms right, of that right. because of competing with the greater force. So those are some of the things that okay. come so up for me around Venus. Uh, on the issue of that, I think you're thinking of Nick Dagan Best who did a lot of work on Venus. Yes. And who, who yes that's at it. Okay, so that's that's mm-hmm. astrologer. So he he's very much the special. You know how certain people just focus on, he knows a lot about that Venus cycle. And by the way, on the issue of Venus and Saturn, I think that may be the case. That's a really interesting point about consensus. Saturn is exalted in Venus, which is a, or sorry, in Libra, which is a Venus world world sign, right? So perhaps that is the link to Saturn's particularly strong there. So maybe that's why Mm -hmm. you need it. And on the narcissism, that's really interesting because if you think of uh, Venus, if you think of how it's represented in the fairy tales, how is Venus represented? That the wicked witch looking in the, uh, sorry, the the wicked stepmother looking into the mirror and uh, being jealous of her stepdaughter and making sure that she tries to get rid of her, right? It's because the light must always only shine on me. And that is the, the reflection of this narcissistic thing. Now, what's interesting about that is Venus along with the moon are the two big feminine markers in the chart. The moon is very different. The moon likes, it's, it's tribal. It likes to connect. It likes to nurture. Venus, I think what's really cool about it is Venus is a, an energy of differentiation. It needs to know that I am the one, right? In some way, it, it's very much, it used to um, rule the, the temple prostitutes, for example, in ancient, and big why? Because they were reenacting a myth that would allow for fertility. And when we, we talk about fertility, they're only talking about the crops coming back and, and not starving. So it was a very important part of, of that whole cycle. Uh, but it, the thing about Venus in, in, um, in the Greek story, and actually also in the, the earlier incarnations in the Mesopotamian and the Sumerian, she decides, she picks. So the, she is married to Hephaestus in the Greek, uh, who is the smith of the gods, but she's cheating him on, on, on him all the time, especially with Mars. He, she is always wanting to go with Mars, you know, to to um, uh, to have a love affair with him. So the idea is her choice. It, it is her. She is not subject to anybody else's whims. And I think this is where it might connect to values and to the idea that it, a lot to do with uh, Venus is what are your values? And I think the, here it's just a proposition. I think Liz Green talked about this ages ago, that the reason you fall, the, the reason love affairs are really important at the end of the day is they tell you a lot about what you find valuable. And that that may be the only way you know, right? Because you're projecting all of your stuff onto some person. You think, oh, that person is this and this. It's really you, right? Because everything's projection. So you're projecting and you think, oh, that's what I really value. So some people may really value intellect, intel- the intellect, some may value beauty, whatever, right? So it's mm-hmm. actually a gateway to understanding yourself in a really big way because it is fundamentally relational. You know, you have to yeah. relate to others. No? It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it, well, well, first of all, Venus. If it rules Libra, it's going to be relational because that's right. the seventh house. It's the place where you marry. It's the place the, of the other, what you 
I think it's beautiful. It's also, there's a link, I think, of Venus is what you like, what you find beautiful. So therefore, the aesthetics of it draw you. So then, in a way, you build your values around that. You decide, well, this is what's important to me. And although some of it, if you link it to Taurus, then there would be a security orientation around it as well, though. So it's not just beauty, but there's, there's a bit of both. But definitely the beauty is important because one thing I noticed as an example is people that have moon Venus opposite or square in their chart, conjunct too, but some some dynamic thing between moon and Venus, they uh, often go toward uh, things like home decorating or aesthetics around the home because of the moon. Right. And Venus is that sense that it's your sense of aesthetics, what feels balanced to you and what feels like it's the right colors and things like that. And so that reveals itself through that as well, even though that's an external subject, but it, you know, it reveals the nature of the planet, let's say, right. 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 Yeah, no, I I, I, mean, they're thinking about also the value system. Values are so important because once, uh, of course, I'm coming always from the Jungian worldview, because that's what fascinates me. Uh, One of the things people have tremendous, tremendous problems with in life is differentiation. And that's, by the way, a Mars thing, because you need a sword to differentiate, and that belongs to Mars. So Venus without Mars is a bit is a bit problematic. She should just merge with anything and connect to anything and, and not understand what she really needs. But once you bring in the sword and you bring in, okay, no, this is, oh, this is what I need, not that, then you start connecting to your more fundamental uh, parts of yourself. And I think discernment is such a big word that most people don't get. What, what happens is... Um, you can be, it can, everything can be a glob in the sense that you don't know how to take what you need from whatever particular part of life. Uh, so that's why I think the polarity is really important as well. And I think you're right about Venus and Taurus and Venus and, and Libra. They're two very different things. I do think that you have to look at the elements there. So for me, the Venus and Taurus, by being an earth sign, uh, the earth is material form is security oriented because it's all about connecting to the earth. Whereas uh, Libra is very much about the air spirit, masculine. I want to rise. I don't really care about the what the earth is. I want to connect to something greater. And it's an air sign. So it's going to be done through communication or through connecting on a different mm-hmm. way. But I think you can't get away from Taurus being, you know, associated with food and all the things that give you comfort because food keeps you safe, right? Too. I mean, in fact, a lot of people with Venus, you know, the food becomes very important. They're great cooks. They, they need to feed others because I know it's also involved with the moon, but it definitely has that, that element uh, uh, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that you can begin to see the potential downside or the, of the archetype where it can get you in trouble in that Venus through in, in Taurus, it's a it's the senses, literally the, the earth connection is your senses inform you, but then you can become sensual and you can become overly sensual. So then you could live for food, for example, because that's constantly stimulating the senses, or any other way in which you yeah, yeah. overplay the 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 archetype. And just the whole notion that Venus it it, it is a overall a, a, a soft symbol in the idea of seeking comfort, seeking pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is good. And you know, you have to be asking, okay, well, uh, how is that working in my life? Is it, is it, uh, am I really enjoying things or is it costing me something, you know, to, right. to right. indulge in the pleasure? So it's, it's not, uh, in that sense, even though Saturn is exalted in Libra, I don't see Venus by itself being inclined to do Saturnian things unless you 
have it linked to Saturn in the chart or some other thing. It's right. not its nature, right. as I understand. But it's, it's interesting bringing up the exaltation because in Taurus, the moon is exalted. And I think the Venus and the moon are much more connected as archetypes in Taurus than they are in, in Libra. I do not see the moon uh, uh, Libra, significations being at all attached to, to Libra. The other thing I was thinking was that how important the apolis to the stories connected to Venus, because you know, you've got Adam and Eve, and of course Eve has to take a, a bed of the golden apple to, to, to get out of paradise so they can start having a life because in paradise, nothing changes. It's just no story. You need to break a rule. So she's actually the rule breaker. Oh, it's true. Yeah, I mean, what yeah. are you going to do in paradise? She's just sitting around. Yeah, well, why, oh, by the way, why, why is she blamed for that? I mean, that is, that story. Well, so because crazy. she did, well, actually you should look at it differently because if you think about it, it's a little bit like Pandora's uh, box. Why are the women always opening the boxes? Because the curiosity, which is associated with cats and cats in some symbolic systems are actually very Taurian, right? Because they're very sensual. They have that kind of uh, Taurus uh, a vibe. But anyway, the idea is that the reason that Eve is taking a bite of the apple, right, is that someone has to take that first step into uh, out of paradise so that you can develop consciousness, right? So in a way, she furthers the story along. It's uh, then she gives it to you know the hapless Adam who does whatever she says, and off they go. But prior to that, what do you have? You have no story. You have two people sitting there unconscious, not even aware they're naked, basically doing nothing. And then all of a sudden the story begins and then everything becomes differentiated, which is what you're doing with consciousness. But with the apples beyond that story, it actually is involved in one of the most famous and important stories that starts off the Western tradition. We've talked about it before in other places. And that's, of course, um, the big contest that happens when the Trojan. Okay, so the, the most important thing that happens in a mythological way is the Trojan War. Why is it important? Because the first written text we have, or the first oral text that then get converted to, to written text are Homer's, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And in the Iliad, what starts this whole story off is that uh, Paris, this young 17-year-old, is told you have to choose between three goddesses. One of them is Aphrodite. Um, and to, you have to give the, the, the apple to the fairest. Now, isn't that amazing? It shows up in all sorts of fairy tales, right? To the fairest. So he's got to pick between her and Athena, and they're all offering him bribes, right? Uh, but Athena, of course, she's 17. What is Athena? I mean, Athena comes forth and says, wisdom. I don't want wisdom. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't want wisdom. Yeah, I don't want hero. I don't want power. I want, I want. So then Aphrodite steps up and says, I'm going to give you the most beautiful woman in the world. And he says, yeah, okay, fine. At first, he tries to dodge, by the way. Paris is aware that whatever he chooses, he's in big trouble. But, you know, he hears Helen can be his. Helen is married to someone else. Therefore, we have the Trojan War. So once again, you have the apple coming in as the thing that you have to, it's like a representation of choice. Um, and, and interestingly enough, I, I, the Isabel, I think is her name. Uh, there was a, a California, uh, I think she was a Stanford. She did a whole thing on how important the apple was and the snake was to the development of vision. That the fact is that humans have fantastic vision and it's because um, like, I think the only things that have better vision are predator, uh, birds of prey, right? And one of the things that helped us is we had to identify snakes, right? Or we'd be killed. So mm -hmm. we evolved to the, the people who could identify snakes could have descendants because they survived. And the other thing is the apples are associated with uh, ripe fruit. And the importance of ripe fruit is when you eat it in the fall, you know, that's when everything, you know, matures, you can eat it, it's, it has more sugar, and it could keep you going through the winter when food is scarce. So the fact is we kind of evolved to be able to see, that's why, you know, her, her point is that's why in, in ads, they always have a woman dressed in a red dress or a red car. You're actually, you're actually um, priming the, 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 uh, the senses in a way to, to that have been encoded in our brains since we, we, we began our evolutionary journey. So it's really, really fascinating. Um, mm. But again, it's about that these themes keep coming up. As a, now, let's let's talk about the Venus and Libra because yes, it's balanced, it's beautiful. I think of Athens and I think of architecture. I think of 
beautiful, glorious statues. But you know, the common thing that everybody laughs about Libra is they can't make a decision because it's so balanced that they they're sort of oh maybe this, maybe that, maybe the other thing, and so they never go forward, which is kind of interesting. Which is very different again from the Venus and Taurus. I think the Venus and Taurus knows how to make a decision because it's all survival based. So I will make a decision. But I think it's interesting that once you get to a, such a balanced, airy thing, you get kind of, you, you, they, and this is why I brought up the apple, that I think the apple points to fundamental part of the story. You must make a choice, even though it's going to get you into law, uh, hot water, even though you're starting the Trojan War and it's going to be huge, you still have to make the choice. And I always think of Libra uh, and, and that conundrum in that, you know, the, the story goes, that Venus cannot, that it's, and it's, and it's, um, uh, search for balance. And I remember actually this, this, I have a friend who has a child who has a lot of Libra planets. And when, when he was six, the, the, you know, we have the elections, we had an election here. I can't remember which election. And the mother put out her, her sign with her party. And he got really upset because he said, no, we have to have a sign for each of the parties. And he made her put a sign for each of the parties because it, it offended his, his sense of, of fair play. You know, you just can't have one. You have to have the whole thing. But again, that's an example of not making, I mean, it's a silly example, but it's an example of not being able to make a decision. So I don't know what you think about that, but I thought of the apple, I thought, yeah, this is giving you yeah. a clue. It's, well, it's, it's fascinating in that that's totally true about Libra. Uh, and yet it's curious that Libra is the cardinal sign, which is action oriented and Taurus is the fixed sign, which isn't. Yeah. And yet interesting. From, from a more survival or practical maybe point of view, the Taurus in that sense, may see it more clearly and the Libra will get caught by the being too aware of both sides and what I can win, what I can lose and things like that. So, uh, but the other thing that's curious is the way you, you, you're telling it. And I hadn't made that connection before because that that's the Eris myth. So that really does connect Eris to Venus. Well, in part, because she's the one that won the contest, at least yeah. in the way they tell it there. Uh, I have a feeling that the hidden meaning of that is that there are three impulses in the psyche and you have to balance all three. You yes. can't just pick yes. one and, and ignore the other two because then your yep. life will be out of balance, which right. even exactly. though, you know, Venus is trying to find balance, but going off on only a pleasure tangent, you know, uh, overt beauty and you neglect Pallas Athena, which is wisdom and Juno, which is your progress in life in the right. sense of where you are in society. Well, how that how far is that going to take you? Right. But it's totally true what you said that you you give that question to someone I don't know under thirty some age where there's no way they're going to pick <laughs> wisdom at seventeen no no, no there's no way that. unless they're yeah. incredibly incredibly yeah. wise which forget it it's not going to happen no, so, it's not going to happen so but it's curious that that may be another indicator of the Eris connection mm. to to Venus and the potential that that planet may be kind of like how Pluto is associated with Scorpio right right in the modern get associated with with yeah. with Libra kind of makes sense too because then you get you get the now I'm not clear on your you get the connection to Athena but in the warriorship how do you resolve that the the fact is it through the polarity of Mars or how do you resolve yeah I for me when I think of Athena fully formed I mean Athena in the Odyssey is bright-eyed Athena she's guiding she's guiding Odysseus it's a wisdom thing and that's why she comes out of Susan's head she comes fully armed because I think the idea is that uh you're at a time, if you look at it in the way that as an evolution of our consciousness, 
she's as a figure mythologically she's coming at a time when her consciousness is changing to a more intellectual airy consciousness so she's armed what do we do with words what do we do with the air we we actually slice things right we differentiate things which i don't think taurus does taurus is the earth it's kind of it's all big mount but when you think of the venus in in air you think of a very intellectual kind of a venus right and so it's a very different energy that's why i think she's and in the myths in this the biggest story we have with venus is the odyssey she is the wise counsel she is the one that counsels and, and very much. And the thing about the, uh, the Odyssey is it presents man in a very different way from what we had before. What is valued in the Odyssey and, and about Odysseus is his cunning. Cunning is something that is air. It's not, you know, it's not like he can plant great uh, crops or you can. It is really about can I outsmart somebody? And cunning is what you use for that. So I think that's the connection. And in terms of Eris, I mean, Eris starts the whole thing by throwing the apple on the on the, on the table. So she's definitely connected to that to that whole story, uh, you know, uh, the Keno, there, there is no story. She's kind of like the rule breaker, just like what uh, Eve does in the sense that without that first bite of the apple, without you throwing an apple and forcing someone to make a decision. And, and it's really interesting because encoded in that myth, you just said that as well, is the idea that when you make a choice, you're excluding other things and they will come to haunt you because you can never you can never really live exclusively from one angle, right? You have to be able to include the whole. And one of the things that's really interesting is about Venus is that there's a quote by Plato that says, all love is the pursuit of the whole, right? That's And Venus being love, all love is the pursuit of the whole. Then the idea is you have to incorporate everything. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to be a Venus uh, beauty person, but I'm going to, as you say, avoid, well, you have to have wisdom and you have to have practical common sense. And there's a whole bunch of things that you have to bring in. But what we do as humans, and this is where the differentiation of values and why Venus is also very much tied to the word value, what, what do we value, is we do make those choices all the time. And every time we do, the choice that we don't make, and that's the whole point of that story, comes back to bite us. In some way or another, it will get us, right? And so the idea is you're always juggling this. You can't not, not make a choice. Sometimes you have to make choices, but the idea is you have to be able to be aware about what is unconsciously driving us when you do make that choice. And that's, right. I think, what gets really difficult, right? Right. Although I, I, the thing with people, I mean, if, if you take that argument too far to the limit, and you you keep you know extrapolating, then pretty soon you're you're really caught on Libra because you won't want to make the choice because you'll think, oh my God, as soon as I make the choice, it's going to haunt me. So, in a way, it's it's knowing maybe through the connection to Taurus where you say, well, what do I really value more, or what That's is it. more important to me, even though I may lose out. Yeah. Uh, some aspect because I mean when it comes to say overdoing after that you're if you're overdoing pleasure the other two archetypes yeah. suffer so then you have to you have to you know give it a certain amount but not not too much exactly and so then you're you're making you're you're pursuing the greater value let's say right right greater, what is more valuable in the in the for you probably short and long term but especially long term um, right. how, how things will shake out so yeah well i mean again we go back to the word balance though right when you go into a psychotherapeutic setting what you're trying to do like Jung had the idea that when you get a bad dream it's a compensatory any dream is a compens compensatory dream and that it is trying to balance out a conscious attitude that you have in daily life that may not be working for you so it's giving you the other side of the story so you go wait i maybe and and that only happens where you're so imbalanced that you need to be brought back to the center you know, so the people in the East, you know, they will meditate their way back and maybe that will work. But the idea of uh, depth psychology is you're always trying to balance yourself out and your own psyche is giving you clues, whether you want to listen to or not. And I'm aware that half the world thinks dreams are just the detritus of everyday life. Okay, fine. But having watched my dreams, it is very true. It's just trying to bring you back to the center because in an unbalanced psyche, 
creates a lot of anxiety, creates probably problems for others because you start blaming others for, so the whole idea is to bring you back to that. And I think Venus is a really, a really good, and I think relationship, which is associated with Venus is so important because that's where you're really testing yourself, right? That's where you really get tested. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was funny that uh, if you read Davis of Love's book about the planets, you know, when they finally figured out what book planet, uh, what, what, you know, Venus is composed of, it's sulfuric mess. It's hot as hell. You die within two seconds. I think they tried to land a probe in the 70s and it basically got, you know, uh, eaten up by the sulfur. So it's just this horrific, um, hot as hell place. And that you think about it, that kind of makes sense because that is where the kind of places that you're taken to in bad relationships, right? Where you're basically, you're like, you're in, you're in a fire of your own desire. And then you, you know, you end up in, you can end up, uh, uh, you know, self, uh, do it, it. It can create a situation for you where you, your sense of self is, 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 is gone, right? Because you just, gone. you cannot handle your own emotions. Um, and, and that actually brings me to the, the other association with, Venus is also um, the, uh, is associated where you have uh, the potential for creative talent. I think it's funny that in Taurus, for example, I, I, you know, we always know that the Libra Venus is the art and you know the 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 balance and whatever. But it, it's interesting to me that Venus in Taurus rules the throat, and you have so many great singers, for example, that have uh, that have uh, Taurus major Taurus uh, uh, placements. Yes. Like you know, just thinking off the top of my head, Streisand, Adele, all these these really big voices, right? They just come at you. Um, and so it's another form of expression, not quite the same thing, but it's right. about talent, right? And mm-hmm. so the, the word talent is actually related to an old English uh, word for money or coin. And it's interesting yes. because I think the money is associated with Taurus as well, right? Yes. It, it has some bit bigger. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that's that's actually right there. That I've mentioned that multiple times in, in classes and, you know, across the years that talent, the biblical talent is an actual money exchange right. token coin right but now they're associated with skills and abilities so the second sign in your chart and taurus because it's the natural second sign and your talents are are definitely venusian these are areas where like jupiter in a way jupiter and, and venus are kind of in the same in the same range around being benefics and being born with something that is natural to you that you like and then that you can further develop and get good at and so then those are your talents and then they could be the things that bring you actual talents as in the form of money or security uh, through expressing them so yeah that's absolutely true now the only thing with what you said about (laughs) the astronomy the only problem with that is that if you push that and you try to create a a paradigm you start to get contradictions things that don't make any sense like for example venus you're totally right it's a scorching really hot it's hotter than an oven i mean you you couldn't be there so it's and it's you know to getting as closer to the sun it makes sense and it has this feeling well yeah that's what happens you know you if you indulge if you get into venus relationships things can get really hot uh Mm -hmm. in a positive and a negative way but then you think well then that should also apply to mars and it does from mars being red but mars is actually very cold and mars can get hotter than venus around um anger and you know uh temperament heat Mars is notorious for that, like the idea of catching fevers and things like that yeah, yeah, yeah. and connecting to Mars. And then if you even go from even more, uh, you know, disparate, broken, uh, uh, you know, illustrations, Saturn is this, uh, you know, place filled with methane is extremely cold out there. Um, and But Saturn, you'd think of not being a gas because it's a very solidity. Yeah, yeah, solid. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It rules rocks and, and solid things and ice, but not water. And yet 
it's a gas, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not making know. a connection in the literal way. I just think it's interesting that it's the sulfuric uh, kind yeah, of that's uh, hot yeah. place. That's all. And by the way, that it's it sounds a little bit like hell. And you just talked about Lucifer and his connection yeah. to it. So it's that's all. I mean, it's just a nice <laughs> well, it coincidence. It won't yeah. happen all the time, right? But, I mean, but it's a nice like, coincidence. Like quite honestly, Lucifer. I mean, to me, if you're if you want to think of the really potential dangerous downside of Venus, if a person indulges that like really gets into it and becomes captive and addicted to it, oh, it yeah. is a form of hell because oh, you're yeah. like a hungry ghost. You can never fulfill it properly. In fact, you could even argue that in some way it's the literal definition of addiction where you're caught by something that is impossible to fulfill, right? But right, the, right, the, right. the pleasure keeps drawing you in and, yeah. and it never ends. And then in a sense, you're in hell because that's what that would be. And I think that's probably in a birth chart, the way I've seen it play out is if it's con making contact with an outer planet like Pluto or Uranus or Neptune, suddenly you've got a dissolution or a, in the case of Neptune or an obsession in case of Pluto. And and yeah, it will drag you into the underworld very, very quickly. Of course, Lucifer was the favorite um, angel of God who gets relegated. So it's kind of an interesting um, kind of an interesting set because it's bringer of light. So it's the idea, of course, it would be associated with Venus who is the most, the brightest thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a basically a, an angel in exile, right? Because if we go yeah. back to the idea of Venus as uh, translating the light of the sun or helping the journey of the sun, then they need each other, right? In a, right. In a certain way. So there, there's no out. Now, I, I thought also about the exaltation of Venus in, in Pisces, because in the modern um, way of looking at, uh, Neptune is the co-ruler of Pisces. In the modern, right. the, the the more Hellenistic astrologers stick with uh, with Jupiter only. But I thought of Neptune as being, we think of the, the, the archetype, Neptune is like a higher octave that we often talk about. It's often said it's a higher octave of Venus. And I mm -hmm. think actually it's really good to look at Pisces and Venus, Venus's exaltation in Pisces in that Venus um, generally will choose, right? So you just don't have five people you're in love with. You know, most normal, you know, most people have maybe one, you know, that they're at, at a time at least, you hope, yeah. right? Unless, <laughs> anyway. Venus, unless Venus is opposing something, right? That's yeah, so that, yeah, you might have more than one, and that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, at a certain degree, you're not going to be uh, feeling that kind of right. intense emotion for a thousand people. But in Neptune, I always think of Pisces as the ability to feel compassion on a higher level for humanity, right. for the right. other, you know, instead of going around. And so I think it's interesting that Venus is exalted in Pisces because I think what it's pointing to is the possibility of a higher love that transcends that choice. That trans And because in Pisces, nobody makes a choice, right? Because you're merging right. with the world all the time, right? It's the dream world. So it's interesting that it would be exalted there where you would think, well, wait a minute, um, Venus has to make, it's about values. So why the heck? And I, and I think it's because it's expressing a side of Venus that cannot be expressed in either Taurus or in Libra, and that it, it has a, a greater concern for the whole. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the only way I can make sense of it. I don't know how you thought about that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's correct. You said it perfectly. The Pisces, I mean, the higher octave, Neptune is the higher octave of Venus. That I definitely subscribe to. It's like, the personal love and the more cosmic or unified, bigger picture love energy. I even mentioned today in class about how Jung, Jung's Neptune Sun Square, he was yeah. focused on that greater inclusivity, the, the you know, the numinous overarching yes. reality. And he's trying to figure that out because he's got a Neptune Sun Square. So it's like a really big Venus in a way, a really big love principle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Now, the thing the thing with this, though, is you always in astrology, as I understand it, or in the archetypes, mm -hmm. for sure, is the, the two sides. So then, because oh, you yeah. could say, well, okay, look, look, Venus and Pisces, exalted. Sure. But I bet you that if you collect charts, you'll run into a chart. Right? And I can't say that I have. This just came to me, but I, I bet if I look long enough, I'll find it. 
where even with Venus and Pisces, because Pisces, the other side of Pisces is where you love everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So then you could get even a prostitute and or yeah. someone who is who is loving too much because they've decided, well, you know, I'm not going to make any difference. It'll just yeah. and it works for me, by the way, because it's in my second house and I make money. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, whatever, could, right? Connected, yes. There's there's no yeah. way, but I mean. Everything has a shadow side, right? So we're yeah. talking about when you talk right. about archetypal principles, you they're very complex. So we're giving yes. sort of an overview, right? So of course, and Venus and Pisces can like anything. And then you don't even need Venus and Pisces. All you need is Venus in contact with Neptune. Yes, you've got the same story working out, correct. right? And then whatever house it falls, it will tell you a little bit part of the story. To Jung, to the point of uh, you know bringing up Jung with his Saturn Neptune square. And which is interesting, but I mean, Sun Neptune, sorry, Sun, Neptune, Sun yeah. yeah, Sun Neptune. You know, it's in Leo, so you would expect of any. In, he, one of his principles is the principle of individuation, which is not about being selfish; it's about developing the whole self. But what's interesting about him is he's often he was looked down upon by the medical community for being a mystic, and that's a word I associate with with that kind of Venus and Pisces uh, quality yes. with Neptune in it, yeah. right? The idea that what you're trying to do is merge. You're trying to find a way to, it's it's not really about the other person. It's about the idea that you are one in some way with the, the whole world, with the universe, right? And so mm -hmm. this is, I think, when you're seeing people like that, uh, they cannot help but try to address that need in themselves. And I just think that I've known people that have that, and I see that, that there's a constant need to find a way to express that energy in a way that that you know connects them to and of course that can lead to addiction because as we know um sometimes the only way you can connect is by dissolving the self by drinking too much or taking drugs mm -hmm. or whatever it's it's like it's a dicey and you know it's a really important thing to say that every archetype has its shadow side and mm -hmm. so you know too much venus means too much sugar because venus also rules sugar to some sure, degree and yeah. jupiter as well so it's one of those things where any benefic can become a malefic if you overdo it right and there's a yeah. tendency to do it but i think at the end of the day venus in the in the traditional um systems of joys joys in the fifth and that makes sense to me because the fifth house is play, play creativity children venus would be happy there right because venus is about mm -hmm. enjoyment and pleasure she's not going to mm -hmm. join the eighth where you know the darkness is and so i think to my, myself okay how what brings you pleasure what, and for everybody, that's very different. Some people are obsessed. I always find what people are obsessed with really fascinating to me. You know, some person will be obsessed with, you know, collecting one thing and then you think why? And, and, and that is so personal. That's what makes the person, but again, mm -hmm. overdone, uh, if you're just focused to that, to the exclusion of all else, yeah, but that's any archetype, right? You've got to find the balance. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, it's inscribed in their story. You need to find balance, especially with Venus, because Venus is the one place that can take you to some pretty dark places. And that's why I brought up the original myth of Inanna and Ishtar. I have a feeling in the Greek pantheon, she got she got scrubbed. She got like, oh, let's just make her beautiful. But the fact is the original story tells you that she went down, and this speaks to Venus exalted in Pisces. She went down out of compassion for her sister. She decided mm. to take the underworld journey to go in there. And so you can't, you can't leave that part of the story out. But what we've done is we've sanitized Venus. You know, now she's just beauty and she's whatever. And but no, there is a dark side. Uh, and the dark side is often that you have to go to places that are very uncomfortable. I, I think of Pema Shodan's book, always, uh, The Places That Scare You, is, that, is that, it's one of the books that she wrote. And it's just about that, that really what you're doing is you're always trying to face those places because if not, they own you, right? So the idea is to become comfortable with what is fundamentally uncomfortable. And going into the underworld, whether you're saving your sister or not, and hanging upside down on a meat hook for three days it's not until you're uncomfortable do you notice how this keeps showing up i always think it's funny that people go oh the archetypal stuff that's just invented stuff and you think do you not get that these same themes keep showing up in all the stories it doesn't matter if they're sumerian or whatever why 
because they're yeah. powerful, because we relate to them, right? Tell to, to the fact that our fairy tales and, you know, Disney is still working with, you know, uh, the seven dwarfs and, you know, you have a, why the seven dwarfs? Well, but because there are seven planets, traditional planets. And that's, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me that you do, you know, people don't see this, but maybe, you know, I'm also a storyteller. It could be that I'm seeing too much in the world too. I'm, I'm well aware of it. Yeah. So if, if someone were to talk to you about, okay, I have a, what, if somebody came to you and said, I have, you know, you, you're well aware that they have a Venus problem. What's the antidote? What would you say to a person who is overdoing their Venus? What do they do? What, what, what do they draw? Well, you know, it's curious that you said something that uh, lines up with a class I just did where I said that in Leo, there is nothing exalted, but I forgot that Venus is in his joy in Leo, right? Yeah. Well, let's enjoy it, the fifth. So if you're doing, fifth. you're using well, the fifth. fifth. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. So Leo is the fifth, the natural fifth sign, right? Of, yes, so, in the months, yeah. But yeah. that's really interesting because the idea then it makes Venus a creative force because the fifth is the place of children. It's where things get created, manifested, brought yeah. into the world. Mm -hmm. they, they, they exist through the fifth, literally. So then that connects it to the solar energy. You might even bring in the, the potential that's going to compete and get Luciferian. As a result of that, because really it's the sun, but the Venus wants a piece of that. Right. And what's curious is you mentioned before about the pentagrams. And the right. thing about the pentagram, number one, that pentagrams are five, and that's yeah. the fifth sign, right? Right. Five is very connected in the numerology of astrology to a very creative harmonic. The fifth sign is like where you create something that is uniquely uh yours, which again that can take it into the Luciferian side a little too easily, but it's a creative energy in the end, right? Mm -hmm. And so then the pentagram, you notice that in a sense, that's great because you're creating something, but the pentagram is also associated with devilish activity, the idea of right. satanic, you know, when they're doing satanic rituals, you see pentagrams everywhere. Yeah. So that would be the the uh, uh, bad side of that, right? So when you said, well, what does a person do when there's too much, when if there's too much Venus, you, you just look at the core meanings and you ask yourself, okay, am I doing this? in a way that is bringing me balance, or is this bringing me imbalance? Right. Yeah. Not, you have to be self-aware enough to know the difference. And right. typically, all I can say is you get better with age, because right. when you're younger, you sometimes will think you're in balance, and then you're completely out of balance. And a decade later, you realize, oh, my God, I've been, you know, constantly throwing myself out of balance, because I really liked this. And I kept rationalizing that what I like is what the way it should be, right. when maybe I just like it too much, and right. I should like it a little less. So that I can gain balance. So it's it becomes a, a self-awareness thing. And you could say the secret is to refine your values, which is like, what do you think is important? Refine it. I mean, to me, refinement, you know, essentializing something that might there might be an archetype for that as well. I bet there is. Being so. and by the way, you know, it's curious that what is the around essentializing this magical word that is out there, quintessential, which is mm, five yes. again, right? Five, the power yeah. of five. And how that goes to the fifth sign, creativity, and so forth. So, long can I? Yeah, no, no, that's a great, that's a great thing. I, I want to give you a counter to the uh, to the satanic pentagram uh, business and why it might have been used. Um, there, at some point, let's just consider this story. What you think of this? At some point, the feminine became demonized, right? Because the feminine was in exile, and the pentagram mm -hmm. is always associated with feminine, right? With Venus, mm -hmm. as we said. When they were going to burn witches in the time, the the, the big witch hunt craze of 12th century, 13th century, they would draw a pentagram on the house of the witch that they, they had labeled, the woman they had labeled as a witch. So to me, that has always been a literalization 
of the fear of the feminine. So you take a woman out and you burn her, right? Because so to me, it's it's not in in that in that case, you've taken the pentagram, which is something associated with beauty. With uh, but you know, women can scare men. I was just talking about this actually too with my son about how if you disown your feelings, you will project it and start getting scared of women, right? And that was literally what was happening in the Middle Ages and then, you know, and, and well beyond that, by the way, because it was happening for a long time. So, and, and one of the things I connect to this is that one of the original myths we have, which has nothing to do with Venus, but just comes with me, comes to me right now, is the idea of stealing fire from the gods. And stealing mm. fire is a creative act, by the way, which is a fifth house kind of thing, right? You steal mm. fire so you can create something really beautiful, but you're stealing a little bit of God. And so the idea is that you're going to be punished because what you've just done, just like Prometheus did and then was had his liver pecked out every night, um, was you've taken something that does not belong to you, doesn't, that is not, that belongs up there. And so there is a price to pay. And by the way, it's often be said that the creative journey exacts a price from the person who is creative. They just don't go out there. It is, and done well, it can be harrowing, right? So to me, the pentagram is really interesting because it has been taken and turned into a satanic um, symbol and a symbol of what well, we have to we have to uh we have to persecute this but what they're persecuting is their own inner feminine that they can't live with and so if you look at the history of that it's amazing what we can do with symbolism right they could take something that the ancients had seen in the sky and revered and then you suddenly inscribe it on a wall and burn the person who who you decide is representing it and so it, it's frightening to me you know as a, as a symbolic and how it also shows me how powerful symbolism is that we think it's not just think of a cross. How powerful is that? I mean, entire groups will go to war over a symbol, right? So, mm -hmm. so that that's to me, I just, that's what came up and forgotten all about the, the, the horrible history of that particular symbol, but it definitely does, uh, does apply there. So finishing up, I, I would like to say with this, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Say something. No, just very really quickly that, that yeah. I can tell you for a fact from studying it in my own chart, because I've seen it in, uh, the charts of others, it's it's clear there too, but you know, it's always going to be more clear when I'm experiencing it directly. Sure. The fifth harmonic, like the idea of the pentagram, when you divide the circle in five pieces and you get planets at any of those points, such that, for example, say you're whatever your sun or whatever it is is somewhere, and then a planet aspects that sun in its transit in a fifth harmonic, or some other thing that you see in the chart through progression, or or even like for example, if a planet is, instead of being a fifth is 72 degrees, but let's say that it was 70 degrees mm -hmm. and you see it growing towards 72, that's a developing thing. Point being that uh, it definitely is a creative aspect. It's actually benign. There's no problem whatsoever. The only thing that is that is dangerous about it is that you can create a style, a way of doing something, a creation of yours that is actually harmful to other people, right? In some matter. And the example of this, by the way, someone that has a really, really intense fifth harmonic alignment to his ascendant descendant is Trump. Trump has um, <laughs> really so intense. Surprising. Isn't that yeah, amazing? That she, yeah, she yeah. creates yeah. the style of relating that is totally self serving to. Right. Right, you know, right. uh, yeah. So, anyways, that's, no, that's, that's a good example. That's exactly yeah. what you see that, yes. Um, let, let's finish with this. Um, Aphrodite has a son called Cupid. Oh, and, yeah. Cupid. And so Cupid's going around <laughs> shooting arrows in people's butts <laughs> and making them fall in love with the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. and, and I just want to finish with that because I think it's a great story. And there's a great story, Cupid and, and Psyche, um, where uh, Psyche falls in love with Cupid and she has to then be, she's put through the ringer by Aphrodite. And actually, this original story then gives, gives, uh, 
gives birth to so many fairy tales. You know, when you have this, this woman going through this process of trying to differentiate and discern, because that's what's so hard for the female, the feminine psyche. But I think it's interesting that you get hit with an arrow and that this is the descendant of, because that's what happens when, when um, you're struck with Venus, right? That this could be the, the, the negative, but at the same time positive, because if you don't do that, you don't learn about yourself. So the idea is you need to be um, from time to time. And an arrow does not have to be just in a love affair. It could be by you suddenly become obsessed with uh, attaining a certain value or a certain talent or whatever it is. You need to have a bit of that, that Cupid kind of um, obsession right. to be able to develop your talent to develop. So it, it, it's kind of a nice interworking or, or it's a kind of a uh, nice descendant or of that story. The fact that Cupid is involved in all of this and that it is this Jerubic well, angel going around creating problems everywhere. Isn't Cupid, though, I mean, that an arrow you associate to Mars. So that's the Mars. Oh, yes. Yeah, the you know, it's a pointy thing that. Yes. No. <laughs> Which then, well. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the polarity. Yeah. And, and you can even, you know, because you, you've used the word obsession quite a bit. Yeah. That would be the, the, the idea of Venus, Mars. If you do Venus, Mars, you always go to, well, you go to like the polarity of Taurus, Scorpio, Aries, Libra, right. but in Scorpio, definitely you're going to get an obsession for sure, an, right. an over, right. an over merging, an over, right. you know, concern with something. But as you say, that's part of the deal because without it, you can't progress. I mean, there's so many things in these myths and in astrology, all these catch twenty twos where you can't live with it and you can't live without it. It's yep. necessary to yep. bring it in, even though. You may think, well, I don't want to be on a Saturn transit. And then the answer is, well, then you're not going to get any work done. So. No, that's it. You're just going to sit around. Well, I mean, I would leave, I would leave with, with people with this, that the reason I think they're valuable is that the difference is, are you doing this consciously or are you doing this unconsciously? Correct. Most people do this unconsciously and create enormous problems for themselves. So the idea is you have a choice to become conscious. It doesn't make the journey any easier. I'm not saying that you suddenly don't feel the arrow that's just been hit on the side of your body, but what it makes you understand is, okay, here, this is happening for a reason. And I think that the Hellenistic astrologers developed their astrology, I've said this before, um, as a way to understand fate, right? And so there are certain things you can't stop from happening, but at least you can have some sort of philosophy that allows you to understand, okay, this may be in service. And I think that's what a lot of Eastern teachers have taught us. This may be in service of a higher goal that I'm not aware of yet, right? right. And so I have to live with it and I have to suffer the consequences. I have to sit in the fire. <laughs> and it is, again, I think of Venus and fiery. You got to sit in it. And you got to let us too. And eventually, hopefully something will be transformed because fire does transform you. And it's interesting that Venus is not exalted in any fire sign. Venus has nothing to do with fire. And yet there is an element of having, you must actually go through this. You must go through this. And th th that's why I like the Nana and the Ishtar myths, because it tells you by going to the underworld, this is where you are hung upside down. And this with time hopefully allows for some sort of resolution. Okay, yeah. well, we'll leave it with, with that wonderful uh, metaphor see it there. all right so okay. we're on to we're on to is it mars next or is it mars uh, is next then I mean, we get the right. antidote which will of course bring in the very polarity again that we're talking about but at least people will be um will be aware of it already so all right good. i look forward right. to that next time yep all right Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about all of this, go to YouTube where you will find Andre's channel called Astrology Alert. He posts videos there almost daily. He also teaches classes through his Patreon account. You can find me at sophiacycles.com. If you want to support my work, I've recently released a new novel called Invocation, which you may find of interest. Go to my website to see a book trailer about it. It's available in all fine bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Finally, if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review so that others will find it as well.